And I'm Steve Mims. We're filmmakers in Austin. We just optioned the rights for the feature film version of the Tribcast. So far, we've attached Ryan Gosling to play Reeve Hamilton. Kyle Chandler for Ross Ramsey. Tilda Swinton as Emily Ramshaw. And the part of Evan Smith will be played by Dame Judy Dench. We're looking forward to award season. Have a great trip, Ken. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the Tripcast for the first week of September. I'm joined by executive editor Ross Ramsey, as played by Kyle Chandler. Howdy. Wait, I'm sitting in Evan's seat, and I don't get to be introduced first? That's right. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Introduce her first. I thought Ryan Gosling was going to be hosting this uh, Tripcast. Yeah, right. Exactly. I'm, in, I'm acting. It's method acting. <laughs> hey, guys. No, Tilda, want, Tilda wants to go first. <laughs> Emily Ramshaw, the editor, is here. Hello. And Judy Dench, instead of playing Evan Smith as usual, will play Morgan Smith, Texas Tribune reporter. You have to say this Hello. in a British accent to do yeah, it again. Yeah, you got to do a whole British accent the whole time. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> We're going to just call you M from now on yeah. through the rest of the Yeah, I, I think it sounds like you're being played that by Dick Van initial. Dyke. Right. You start dancing with penguins in a minute. Let's get back to the important news of the week, which is... Governor Rick Perry's Twitter account. <laughs> yeah, right. I think. The single most important thing. Uh, this caused a bit of a splash. Can someone tell us why? This is like a quiz show. Sure. Uh, on Sunday evening, while I was, you know, drinking at a party. TMI. Suddenly, I got a text message from Evan Smith that said, have you seen what Rick Perry just tweeted? And so, of course, I looked at Rick Perry's Twitter account where he had tweeted some picture that was a picture of Rosemary Lemberg that was a Rosemary meme. Lemberg is the Travis County Travis DA. County District Attorney. If you don't know what this is <laughs> by now, you better not be listening. <laughs> <laughs> Should we try to do it quickly? Pled guilty to drunk driving. Right. Perry tried to push her out, and because and of the actions involved in that, he's been indicted. Is that fair? Yes. That's fair. And the meme, the picture that was out basically was a play on the um, Dos Equis man, the most interesting man in the world. And it had Rosemary Lemberg, you know, being saying, you know, I don't often have uh, X number of drinks and blood alcohol. That's three times the legal limit. But when I do, I indict Rick Perry, which... A, isn't factually accurate by any she stretch of the ima- imagination. Right. But B, it w- was a pretty wild thing for someone to be tweeting who has been indicted. Uh, and so everyone suddenly quickly said, what is Rick Perry doing tweeting this? Within about an hour, appar- he... Apparently Rick Perry was thinking the same thing. Right. Within about an hour, Perry had tweeted, you know, something was retweeted from my... Or, or tweeted from a, my a, account a, that I didn't authorize. Right. But the interesting thing about this is that Rick Perry has been very public about the fact that he and only he mans his Twitter account and that he's a tweet, you know. So it must have been a woman. (laughs) Yeah, right. But that he's a big tweeter. And so this should come as no surprise. Are you laughing (laughs) at the phrase? He just called the governor a big tweeter. Big tweeter. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's something that's that's come up before in political campaigns. Uh, I think almost a year ago, Abbott retweeted someone calling Wendy Davis abortion Barbie. Barry Smitherman tweeted that picture of a noose right. uh, you know, previously. The, there is a risk involved when you're, at least the public perception is that this Twitter account is manned by the principal. The, the lesson here is the most dangerous job in American politics is to be the intern on a campaign because eventually this is going to roll downhill to you. <laughs> Somebody's going to blame the intern. 
And Perry said somebody in my campaign did this, you know, in the same way Abbott did. Oh, I didn't do that just because it's under my name on my account. Yeah, is is it a? And it's probably right. Somebody else, you know. I mean, it, it's it. That's you gotta easy. hope it's he wouldn't be do. that dumb. I mean, I, yeah. I think Tribune staff members have accidentally tweeted from the Tribune account. They're Those, being, including Evan Smith. Yeah, Evan <laughs> tweeted a picture of like Derek Jeter at a Yankees game. <laughs> Derek Jeter's butt at a Yankees game or something ended up on the Texas <laughs> Tribune <laughs> Twitter account. I think that's actually Evan's sort of secret Twitter handle. What? Derek Jeter's butt. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm glad they don't give me access to the Tribune Twitter account. I'm glad yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, is there anything to be to be really read into here? Is, does, is it is no, it a difference? It's just entertaining. If, if he's if he's the one that tweeted it, or if it's a staffer, you know, the politicians are not the ones that actually type out their statements. Usually, it doesn't make any difference. But you're going into a presidential campaign, and you got to get this stuff locked down. You got to, you know, he's not in a position to make mistakes, and people say, "Well, he's new at this," or blah blah blah. He's in a position where he has made a mistake in a presidential campaign, and everybody's waiting for him to make new ones. So they're amplified to begin with. And the danger is that, you know, if you stack up some things like this, I'm not putting too much weight on this particular tweet, but if you stack up things like this, all of his opponents can go, the guy um, doesn't know what he's doing. The straw on the proverbial camel's back. Well, the camel's getting tired here. Yeah. And I think we've exhausted the topic as well. There's not much else to say about it. Yeah. It was just it was entertaining. A, it was a little flurry on Labor Day. It yeah, seems like keep, there could be some people. better memes to come out of. <laughs> yeah, right. It wasn't the most clever. Yeah, it wasn't like, like, maybe like, use cats next time. Do something inappropriate. Yeah. You might as well be good at it. Exactly. <laughs> Make it funny. This one was just wrong. Yeah. Speaking of wrong, actually, I don't know where that's going. <laughs> yeah, right. Be careful here. <laughs> right. Uh, the other big political story of the weekend was the back and forth about whether or not. And D. Davis and Greg Abbott will ever be having a debate. The debate over the debate over the TV. Basically, I think on Friday, Abbott pulled out of a planned debate. Well, sort of. I mean, you know, what happened was Abbott went to WFAA in Dallas and said, you know, I agreed to this format for a roundtable debate. There were going to be some questioners. I was going to be one of them. There were going to be some questioners and the two candidates, and they would be able to interact some, like a roundtable. And they had agreed to this. this. Well, right. there's a good argument. Um, <laughs> and the Abbott people had actually in their letter accepting this been sort of um, complimentary of the format and saying, you know, that's that's a good way to do it. I don't like those timed things. And they've come, they came they back. Didn't, they came didn't back want to, any raising your hands to signal yes or no. Right, they came back to WFAA. I don't know what that and, means. Uh, they came back to WFAA and said, we'd rather have a more classical debate with timed answers, timed responses, and no interaction between the candidates. And it, WFAA said, no, we're not going to do that. We so is, to... this is after what changed? Well, nothing. I mean, they just came so in. they had they just previously came in, agreed. They previously agreed. It was all set up. The date was set. The time was set. The but stations were lined up. What was the and date going to be? Uh, the 30th of September, so oh. the day after the lieutenant governor's debate. And they came back and they said, you know, change the format. And... Um, WFAA said, we're not going to change the format. And the Abbott people said, if you won't change the format, we're going to pull out. And they said, okay, bye. So Abbott pulled out, accepted another debate on the same date, sponsored by the Dallas Morning News, Telemundo, KXAN, leaving somebody else. Yeah, KERA, NBC5, the Dallas Morning News. It's Uh, a long list. of. So so they took another debate on the same date. And after some back and forth and some, you know, debate, debate, uh, the Davis campaign has said, "Okay, we'll go to KERA." We'll I think their I think their acceptance was a little bit snarkier than that. It was sort of it like, was quite snarky. But yeah. and, and you know, but this is one of those things. They're arguing over something most people don't 
really care about. Mm-hmm. It's you pretty know, tedious. Voters voters want to see candidates compared so that they can compare them. They you know want to see the differences if they can get to it. But the the arguing over you know what shape table and what kind of microphones and you know the format and all of that is like you say tedious. I mean, did WFA did WFA think that they were going to be able to hang on to this debate, or did they were they really ready for them to leave if they didn't agree to the format? I you know I don't know what their thinking was. They mm-hmm. obviously acted in a way that showed they were ready to part stick ways to the format rather than right. Interesting, but didn't ha- didn't Abbott have a change on his staff? You know, did he get a new debate? They brought, advisor? They brought uh, Robert Black in, who's been around for a while. In fact, Robert worked on the first Abbott campaign for attorney general against Kirk Watson, and um, has been an advisor to the governor. Has been, a, you know, I mean, he's a old hand in the Republican Party. Worked at RPT, the Republican Party of Texas. Um, I think the Abbott people are looking at this as as probably a lot of front runners would, saying, you know, all that can happen to a debate. To a front runner in a debate is something bad. Is something bad, and right. so let's so, but they minimize the chances for something bad. And they looked at this format and said, you know, a lot of these debates have turned into shouting matches, and we we don't want one of those. You know, mm-hmm. the debate between Dewhurst and Patrick, and the debate in the campaign before that between Dewhurst and Cruz, both of those turned into. You know, like it was a hockey scrum. There's both but, WFAA debates. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's largely personality-based personality based and sort of foreseeable with those people. And I think with Abbott and Davis, you're not likely to get that sort of level of uh, volatility, perhaps. We've never seen Abbott in a debate. I mean, mm-hmm. there was one debate. He's done one debate for public office that I'm aware of with Kirk Watson. It was a half hour Almost nobody saw it who was paying attention to that race, much less voters that year. And, you know, so I don't know what Abbott would be like in a debate at all. Davis, we've seen a little bit just because she's been on the Senate floor, you know, in that back and forth. But I, I don't know what they'd be like on TV. Do you think this was a uh, an unforced error on the Abbott campaign's part or a show of a lack of confidence to just suddenly pull out of one debate and then move into another debate on the same night? I can't imagine any I, – I, you know, I can't imagine this turning any votes. I think – I mean both yeah. of these campaigns have – tried to really control their candidates and media access to their candidates. And it, this, to me, just seems like another example of that from, from the Abbott campaign. Plus, you know, it's not like this kind of stuff trickles down to voters. I mean, does this make Abbott look maybe, you know, like not the most trustworthy among, you know, members of the media who set this stuff up? Sure, it looks squirrely, for sure. But to voters? I mean, is it squirrely to voters? No one's paying yeah. attention no to this. Don't, yeah. No one's on the fence being like, well, I, yeah. I really wanted the guy who would debate on WFA. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. I, I think that if he'd pulled out of the debate altogether, uh, any debate altogether, and said, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to debate her, I think, you know, I'm not even sure that would make any kind of noticeable difference. But does it, it, didn't, put- it didn't for Rick Perry. You know, right. Rick Perry wouldn't de- wouldn't debate Bill White. They finally ended up doing one-hour interviews. Right, back-to-back interviews. So I guess right. Rick Perry never initially agreed to debate him, right? Right, they and have that pulled, letter from yeah. the he, Abbott campaign manager saying, like, yeah, this debate's great. Perry, yeah. said, he, Perry said he would debate White if, if White would release his income. <laughs> <laughs> it became, right. And yeah, then it's, it's Mark Miner sent yeah. out 160 emails <laughs> daily. <laughs> right. But does it put Davis at an advantage? Because, like, like I said, her acceptance of the of the debate was sort of like, 
oh, we will agree to this debate if it makes Abbott more comfortable because it's less challenging and, you know. It doesn't no. do anything for her. She just needs a debate. She needs any debate. And she's going to get two. Well, because they had that other one that stayed the same. The 19th, September 19th in McAllen. It's the one that's going to be live streamed, well, on our site, but also at the Texas Tribune Festival. I'm, God, I sound like Evan. If you want to come, there are still <laughs> tickets available. At Telemundo and the McAllen Monitor. Right. Are among the sponsors. I'm not sure that's all of them. Right. Uh, so there will be there will be a debate. So that in some ways that will be their warm up round probably for the big televised one. So for um, all of those voters who never watch debates, there right. will be two debates not to one. So but that <laughs> that debate is being televised. The, the second one is being televised. The first one's not being televised, but it is being live streamed. I think the first one is being televised locally. Regionally, well, yeah. and the Abbott campaign's calling the calling both of them statewide televised campaigns. So mm-hmm. I, I think Telemundo may be sending it or debates a broader rather. signal. Yeah. But either way, You'll be able to see it. I mean, Wendy Davis needs these debates just for the opportunity that something might happen that will cast Abbott in a negative light and make her look good. The same thing happened in the lieutenant governor's race in a much quieter way, but it's the same kind of thing. You know, Dan Patrick, who clamored for as many debates as he could possibly get with David Dewhurst when he was not the front runner, mm-hmm. um, now that he is the front runner, is only. Um, acquiescing to one debate with Letitia Vandepute, who wants to have as many debates as you Evenly know, there possible. are weekends between now right. and then. And that happened in the runoff between Patrick and Dewhurst too, when Patrick started withdrawing or not showing up at um, at planned appearances with Dewhurst. Right. Dewhurst when was he was also for a front runner. Yeah, yeah. You also have Sam Houston, the Democratic Attorney General candidate out there saying, like, where is Ken Paxton, his Republican rival? Today, He's basically right. MIA on the... And, and we asked Paxton's people, the story just went up, we asked Paxton's people if they were going to agree to a debate, and they sent back a statement that did not say one way or the other whether they were going to agree to a debate. I would not be surprised if there's no debate What did they say? Thank you for your question. <laughs> it was something along we enjoy the lines debates. of saying that, you know, the dem- their Democratic opponent's call for a debate was just, you know, a ploy to make himself not look like he was so low in the polls and... Blah, blah, blah. So there's – but, you know, you can't really blame these guys. If you're the front runner, there's there's no reason for you to participate in a debate. Uh, it can only do negative things to you. Well, but, sort of. I mean, you know, one argument is if you're in a campaign, all you're trying to do is win. And so you're looking at all of this as either I take a risk because I'm behind or I don't take a risk because I'm ahead. Mm-hmm. If you're in this, you know, sort of if you're in your civics textbook and you think that voters ought to actually have a choice – or if you think that you need to go before voters and present them with some ideas so that if and when you're elected, you have something you can actually realistically call a mandate, then you got to get in front of the voters at some mm-hmm. point. And, uh, at the ballot box. Well, no, I'm talking about you've got to present no, them with to, an idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Abbott could win this race. I mean, he's actually running the kind of campaign that he could he could win this race without ever having really presented an idea to enough voters that a person on the street could say, oh, yeah, I voted for that guy because he's going to do X. Mm-hmm. And he's going to go to the legislature in January and say, I want to do X. And the legislature is going to say, where's your mandate? Well, so that's what he's preparing to lay out at his two debates. In the meantime, he's also preparing – his office, at least, is preparing some appeals for some cases that they have lost recently, I think. A and lot can, of them. Can we start with the school finance we can. suit? Uh, that's been going on forever. Yes. And ever and something, ever. Something finally happened in it. 
So what what was the setup and and what occurred? So this lawsuit arose after the 2011 legislative session when lawmakers cut about 5.4 billion from public education. But this is something that's a perennial occurrence in Texas. About twice a decade, there's this kind of massive school finance litigation where school districts get together and challenge the state in the way it uh, distributes money to schools. Um, and so we've had. We had a trial that uh, lasted for about 45 days, uh, two years in October 2012. Then we came back after this last legislative session in 2013, had round two. And last week, Judge John Dietz, an Austin trial court judge, uh, finally released his ruling, which was included about 400 pages of legal findings of fact and was across the board um, in favor of the school districts. And this was something that was uh, very much expected was going to happen. Because he had already ruled this way before in just fewer pages? Right. He never issued an actual on-paper ruling. He just read a statement from the bench at the conclusion of that first trial. Um, and so we didn't know the details of it, but we knew the gist of it. The Dietz tales. The Dietz tales. <laughs> I hope that's the last time we hear that joke. <laughs> and yes, uh, the state is appealing this case. We, It's probably going to be directly to the Texas Supreme Court, though we don't know for sure. And um, the earliest, if everything goes as fast as it could, the earliest we could have an opinion from the Texas Supreme Court is is next fall, if you just, that's what I've gathered from talking to the lawyers. So um, you could go straight to the Supreme Court? There doesn't have to be an appellate court in the middle here? I think yeah. if you get a chance card, it's straight to the <laughs> Yeah, yeah there's Supreme a legal court. maneuver that they can use mm-hmm. to take it straight to the Supreme Court and then um, if that if the Supreme Court then decided to expedite the hearing then it would kind of jump in front of all the other cases and we could maybe have oral arguments starting in May at the end of this next legislative session. You, you couldn't do it this year? Um, from what I've gathered you could not. The year's pretty much over. Just because yeah, it is all over. of the briefs that have to be filed on right. both sides and yeah. So, so could lawmakers do anything really between now and then? Sure. Or you mean they on this write, thing? They have to write a budget. <laughs> or just generally. <laughs> in general, yeah. Well, they have to write a budget in 2015, and that budget, you know, sort of inherently contains a school finance formula. And, the, and right. they could they could rewrite it. They could look over Deeds' shoulder and say, you know, change this, change that. In fact, they tried to do a little bit of that last time. Right. Is it possible to say what exactly he says the state is doing wrong or unfairly? Yeah. I mean, I think he's pretty – explicit about what's going wrong um, in the the way that the, the state distributes money to schools. And it's not just because there's not enough of it. It's just there's inequities in, you know, which school districts get what. Um, the state doesn't know how much it costs to educate a student. That hasn't been studied since the 80s. Um, it doesn't know how much it costs to uh, implement these new academic standards in schools. So there's any number of things I think that could be chipped away at legislatively. But, I mean, as we saw after this last legislative session, it's still going to occasion another, at least another go-round in the trial court, even if, you know, lawmakers came back and said, hey, we want to fix this thing. We don't want a Supreme Court decision to do it for us. I so. mean, in theory, you're likely to have a governor who, Greg Abbott, who tried to get this judge kicked off of this particular case, right? 
Right. So it's unlikely to me that a, a potential Greg Abbott as governor would say, legislature, let's work together and come up with some kind of solution that makes Judge Dietz happy. Right. And also you have um, you have you know, the state could also just decide not to appeal and say, hey, we want we're going to let this decision stand. And, you know, lawmakers, this is your mandate. That's also not going to happen. Right. Right. You just leave it up for the next attorney general to deal with. I mean, is this something like redistricting where in the end lawmakers think it's just easier to let the courts figure this out? Yeah. You know, what happens here is that, you know, one of the things that he said in his ruling was that the state has set a standard for public education in Texas and not given the schools enough money to reach the standard. So as a political matter, that means that, you know, you have to go back to your voters and either say, I'm going to lower the standard for the public education system you wanted or I'm going to raise your taxes and spend more money. And right. and it's easier to do that with a judge twisting your arm. So do we have any sense of whether or not the Dietz thing, let's say they do appeal it, would his ruling get overturned or would it be upheld? Do we have any I mean, read on the Supreme Court? I think if you look back at the last time the court ruled, which was in 2005, it was also a Dietz Dietz wrote the opinion in that round of the litigation. Um, and they upheld in part and overturned in part and I think, you know, school district lawyers are ho- hoping that this time around, everything that they upheld in Dietz's opinion um, has just gotten so much worse. And they made an even better argument for the things that weren't upheld in Dietz's opinion. Um, but there's also been a lot of turnover on the Supreme Court since then, too. So I think that, you know, it's it's anyone's guess. And obviously, it's a much more conservative court um, than you're going to find in, in Travis County. So are charter schools now out of this altogether? Charter schools are, I, I believe, the charter school organization, and there's another group that's not a traditional school district group. They were both, uh, the judge found against their claims in the lawsuit, but they are going to continue to appeal. So they're, they'll continue to have their issues kind of aired out um, in court. So they're, they're appealing on that side as well. He also said, though, that the, that the charter schools that were in districts that had unfair funding also, as a result, had unfair funding. Right, exactly. Right, so if it was disequal in the public schools in a particular area, it was disequal in the charter schools in the same area. Yeah, all public schools, including charter schools, are underfunded and equitably funded. Um, but these other policy issues that the charter school organizations were pushing for, uh, Judge Deeds said that that's something that the legislature should determine. It doesn't violate the Constitution. Well, let's talk about the other case. Abortion. Mm-hmm. Right. Take it away, Emily. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, basically the House Bill 2 from the end of the last session, which was the measure that would have required Texas abortion clinics to meet the standards of ambulatory surgical centers, uh, that was supposed to go into effect basically, you know, the start of September. And so uh, abortion providers, reproductive health clinics were uh, in court trying to prevent that from happening. Uh, The judge in this particular case, as was anticipated, I think, largely said basically that this is this legislation was um, was not constitutional, that it was I think he said uh, he said burdensome in a way that was incompatible with the personal freedom and privacy of women in Texas. Uh, This would have basically taken the number of abortion clinics in Texas. There are about 19 of them down to just a handful. Uh, 
so obviously that was his ruling. Um, uh, Greg Abbott's office and Republicans in Texas, uh, you know, were outraged, saying this is a political court and that they are moving on now to uh, New Orleans, where the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is. And that's the more conservative court. Um, you know, it's it's still questionable what that court will do. That court has had some mixed rulings on these issues, but everybody expected it was going to go to that court. Well, and burdensome is sort of a tough thing to gauge, right? One person's burdensome drive is another person's right. country yeah, so Edith, Sunday drive. Edith Jones on the Fifth Circuit Court in an earlier version of this case said that, you know, driving – I think she was using 200 miles. Driving 200 miles for something like this is really nothing in Texas. People are used to that. Right. I mean, she really, you know, just basically said that. Lee Yackel, who did this ruling, I should say, was one of uh, was appointed to three different courts by George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. He's a, you know, he's a Republican. So, why was this uh, ruling anticipated then? I think just previous rulings out of, you know, out the, of this court. The same judge, yeah, the same judge yeah. had ruled against an earlier version of this law. Right. And so, is the this ruling basically? Push back the implementation of so this ruling. HB2. There is currently now this this right this measure HB two will not be implemented. You know until there's another court ruling. Abbott's office had asked the Fifth Circuit. You know, quick, quick, can you at least make a make a ruling so that we can you know keep this in place? In the meantime, we can institute this legislation, start shutting in theory, start shutting these places down. Um, and the Fifth Circuit said no, uh, rejected that request, and said y'all are going to have to wait uh, until we take this up. So for the time being, there are some clinics that were slated for closure, that, including one in McAllen, that are now going to keep their doors open as they await the next round. But if they – can they keep their funding coming if, they, if their futures are so uncertain? Could they start shutting down even as they wait? I think, you know, for a lot of these places, it's it's really just they can pay their bills if they have women who they're they're seeing. Um, and so there are still a, a several clinics that have shut their doors. The the whole women's health clinic in Austin, uh, it, you know, basically wasn't able to do it, lost their lease and, and could not proceed. But there are a couple of clinics that are going to be able to stay open as a result, particularly in areas of the state that were so underserved that women were going to be driving hundreds of miles otherwise. Does it hurt Abbott at all to have two sort of high-profile losses going into his, uh, you know, campaign for higher office? They're both still under appeal. You can say we're, still, not, we're right. still fighting. Right. This fight's not over. We lost a round. That happens. You know, we're, you know, the fight goes on. Plus, I think anytime the decision comes out of a courtroom in Austin, exactly. you know, it's seen as... <laughs> they pretty much vilified Austin. I yeah, think. yeah. People I, seem very willing to buy yeah, into with the... With the Perry indictment stuff, even so many of these judges were appointed by Republicans. They're Republican judges. And yet, you know, that decision's coming out of an Austin Travis court. Travis County. Yeah, right. Right. The, right. The, the, tomato soup. the Democrats yeah. and the Davis campaign in particular are, of course, making a big deal out of these and saying, you know, this guy keeps losing lawsuits and, um, you know, they've, they've got a record to show. Right. Although it's not like Davis's campaign of late has made, you know, abortion legislation the center of her campaign. And so, yeah, I think you saw some statements from her around this. But I, again, I don't think she's necessarily using this out on the trail in a They're big not way. focusing on the substance of right. the. Exactly. Which is. You know, it's it's not even the. I'm surprised that her, like the her book is coming out, and it doesn't even, the title doesn't say anything about standing or anything that sort of doesn't seem to be focusing on anything she's associated with. Now, somewhere in a parallel universe, this candidate is running only about the issue that got everybody excited in the first place, but, <laughs> but not in this particular universe. Boy, that book is about to come out, and I was really hoping that that cover that got leaked was just a rough draft. <laughs> Instead, so it's, it's just rough. It is like. Bright blue and the in the worst font you have ever terrible. seen. Yes, yeah. it looks like a seventh grade to PowerPoint it. presentation. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's called Forgetting to Be Afraid, which is also an interesting title. Buzz marketing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, any other final thoughts? None. Tilda says none. <laughs> she is, uh, she's an intimidating presence, she's Tilda a, Swinton. She's a woman of few words, mm-hmm. unlike yours truly. Well, we could have used a few more. We're coming in short time-wise. Do your best Ryan Gosling impression. I have been. <laughs> oh, that's what this was <laughs> this whole time? <laughs> whole thing was. Uh, well, we'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music, which was excellent as always. And on behalf of Morgan, I'd like to encourage you to send your questions and comments to tribcast at texastribune.org. And on behalf of Ross, Emily, and our producer, Todd, I'd like to thank you for listening in the first place. This is Reeve. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Hey, Joe, I think we have to do that again. You have to be a little tighter on your, a little faster on the, the, the space between the, uh, the lines.